right, I think we should kick off our Halloween episode by telling each other ghost stories. Ooh, I want to go first. I want to go first. I want to go first. Okay. All right, fine. Uh, I got such a good one. Okay. So, once upon a time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Cue, the, cue the dramatic music, Sean. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Okay. Oh, ooh, ooh, that's good. Oh, I like that. Once upon a time, back in 2007. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Nine yeah. years ago. Antiquity. Oh, yeah. There was a neighborhood okay. largely abandoned. And at the end of a court, a large Victorian house that had stood for over a hundred years. It had been dark for, I don't know, five, maybe six years before that. Not a single light ever turned on inside that house. Okay. And one day, one of the neighbors, who was a little too curious, walked to the end of that court and threw a relatively disheveled front yard up to the front door of that house and rang the doorbell, only to have no reply. They walked home, they had dinner, they went to sleep early, and they never did that again. What? I... But... I know. I, I know! I, I get goosebumps just telling it. I don't get it. There was there was no ghost in that story, Eric. Well, I mentioned it's during the recession, right? Okay. It's the ghost of the American dream. Oh, that's deep. Oh, yeah. It's a metaphor, baby. It's a metaphor. You're dumb. <laughs> Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Eric Brickmont. And I am Brian Moriarty. And I'm Sarah Ashley. Yay. <laughs> Are we going to do ghoulish laughs now? No, that was just me. Okay. That's his, that's his actual laugh. He's been faking laughs, laughs all year long. I have to. Or I just get ridiculed. It's, it's, you don't know what it's like to live like that, Sarah. It's still To love. have an evil and maniacal laugh and not be able to share it so, with the world. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure I do know what it's like to have an evil and maniacal laugh. I don't but, know if you know. guys, since it's Halloween and we're getting everyone caught up here. First off, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. Ooh, what's everybody dressed up as this year? Uh... I think because the weight loss has been going well, I might be rocking the Clark Kent Superman. Okay. Uh, but doing a, getting a little more elaborate on the Superman costume okay. this okay. year. I'm not sure yet. Vanessa and I might do something as a couple, too. Eric? It's very rare for you, Brian. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a... Yeah, I've done it like five million Superman times, I know. <laughs> costume. Eric? So I'm, I'm undecided. Uh, you know, I've got my Spock outfit, mm-hmm. which I was thinking I might rock this year. Mm-hmm. Rock out with your Spock out, man. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, but then again, Sophia is going as Cleopatra, so I might need to break out the Pharaoh costume. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a classic. I mean, you know, uh, my Albert Einstein, I did that one year, is hard to top, especially when Martha was pregnant and she was a chalkboard and we had the equation for what makes a baby on there. Cute. Yeah. Oh, dude, even better. She's going to go as Cleopatra. You just get a bed sheet and a bunch of fake knives and some corn syrup and covered in red, and you just go as Julius Caesar. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too soon, Brian. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon? Yeah. Jeez. And and poor James Garfield last episode. Yeah, I know. He deserved it, though. Yeah, joke. Hey, speaking of historical figures we make fun of. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, I'm sorry. 
Go ahead. Sarah, I'm so <laughs> <Brian>? sorry. <laughs> what the hell? I think I'm still. I think I'm still in the mood from like our our fake debate from last episode. God. Oh, you're yeah, still in the mood for like men to completely steamroll women when it comes to history. I get it. I get it. Stay this in that This is becoming mood. an actual debate <laughs> that nobody wants to hear right now. <laughs> So I'm Sarah gonna pass. Sarah, you have 60 seconds okay. if you would like to. Uh... Yeah. So my costume, um, if you guys are familiar with the movie Hocus Pocus. Oh. Oh, that's right. Um, I am going to be dressed as Winifred Sanderson, Bette Midler's character. Love it. Roxy. Book! Roxy is going to be Mary Sanderson. That's awesome. Um, and a friend of ours, Megan, is going to be Sarah. Okay. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. This is Sarah Jessica Parker. Yep. One. Yeah. Um, that is fantastic. I I so want to see pictures of that. Are you doing a party again this year? We're probably just going to go to a bar. Oh, okay. This year. So, you were talking about we were talking about historical figures we like to make fun of. Uh, did you guys see what our buddy Michael put on our Facebook page? Mm. No. Eric, you're going to love it. Oh no. Oh, that's very funny. Nice. Vlad the Inhaler. Vlad the Inhaler. That's cute. Someone actually took a portrait of Vlad the Inhaler and drew his head to be the shape of it of an asthma inhaler. That might very well be the first meme created as a direct result of an episode that we've recorded. I don't know if it I don't know if he created it for us. I think he might have found it on the internet. And I'm gonna say somebody on the internet did that for us, and it's probably not true, and I don't care. Okay. Well go with that. Uh, I love your bad laugh your <laughs> Vlad laugh. <laughs> <laughs> So, (laughs) guys, what are we going to be talking about tonight? Well, the Amish. Because what could be scarier? (laughs) On Halloween. On Halloween. Than the Amish. Than a life without an iPad. (laughs) No! (laughs) He's going to chase us in his horse-drawn buggy. (laughs) Very slow. Hey, it can go like 20 miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) You don't knock that. That's true. On, if you're on foot, you're screwed. That yep. is true. That is true. So. Uh, no, ghost stories Yay. is uh, what we're going to be talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Because what's better to talk about on our Halloween episode that we get to release on Halloween what? than to talk about the nature of ghost stories, perhaps some even some reality to those ghost stories. Yeah, mm. well, some historical context for sure. Historical yeah. context, indeed. Because, I mean, let's face it, the concept of ghosts has been around for a long time, ever since the idea that the spirit and the body are two entities, you know, and that the spirit can be separated from the body upon death, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, honestly, Eric, can you please tell me what what culture, what ancient culture seems to really have a strong fascination with life after death? Hmm. I wonder which one it could be. Is it the ancient Mesopotamians? Well, yes. I mean, yeah. Is it? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that was perhaps my favorite, my favorite moment on this podcast in a very long time. Yeah. That was fantastic. Uh, yes, Brian. It was also the ancient Mesopotamians, as well as their contemporaries, the ancient Egyptians. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, bro, Brian. Brian's broken. Now come, come, come back, Brian. Come back to us. Come back to us. Just keep talking. I'll recover in silence. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, there was. I mean, let's well, ta- let's, let's talk about 
Egypt and yeah. a really cool go- ghost story that came from there. So first off, the ancient Egyptians, we've talked about this before, had a very complex view of life after death. And they didn't exactly view it as something scary. It was actually something that was just a part of daily life. And the soul itself was separated to all these different components. Uh, and one of those components, which was an actual, um, how should I say, a duplicate, if you will, a spiritual duplicate of you that existed uh, in the afterlife and would return in some form to the physical world so that you could receive offerings in order to sustain your soul for all of eternity. And this was actually, and and to make a point of what you were saying, Brian, it is, it is actually mirrored in Mesopotamia. The Mesopotamians, the ancient Egyptians, uh, developed their two different cultures and, and societies pretty much parallel to one another. And, and through the trade routes also passed on a lot of concepts and ideas. Mm-hmm. So in Mesopotamia, you have the idea of the Gidim, which is essentially the same exact thing as the, as the, as the Ak or the Ba in ancient Egypt. Where you find something very interesting starting in Egypt, however, is the birth of um, the birth of Egyptian literature really in the Middle Kingdom, uh, in the mid-section, a midpoint of ancient Egyptian history, which then led on to that tradition being continued into the New Kingdom, which is where this story comes from. Uh, it's often just known as a ghost story because it is the very first example of a haunting ever to be conceptualized and written down. Yeah, exactly. But they wrote it down as if it were smacked, basically. Pretty much, yeah, because it was being treated as such. These stories that were being written were oftentimes um, actually writing lessons for new scribes who were learning how to read and write, who would copy the text that had been written before over and over again, and this is how they learned how to do this. Uh, The particular one in this question was found on Ostracon, which is pieces of broken pottery, which was Mm -hmm. used as cheap writing material for relatively unimportant things. So an actual uh, oral tradition almost certainly brought this story into existence, and then it was written down and written down again and again as practice. Mm -hmm. But even still, there is very little uh, that remains of the story itself. Really, all that we've got left over is a very interesting midsection, which we kind of have to then you know, come up with and guess around how the, how the how it started and finished. Nonetheless, it's a really interesting story. So I'll give you the Sparks Note version of it in just kind of a short form. And it focuses around um, uh, a ghost who is eventually named, but is unnamed in, in the beginning, and, and also an unnamed man who is taking refuge inside of a tomb in the Theban necropolis, right? So the place where not too far away you've got the the valley of the kings and you have this gentleman who is we don't know because the beginning of the text is missing but maybe he gets caught and it's already sundown so he doesn't have an opportunity to make it back home so he takes refuge in a tomb or maybe it's a storm or a wild animal chasing him who knows what uh the point is he makes it into this tomb only be met by uh the deceased who confronts him and essentially grieves that his tomb is in really poor condition and he's very upset and no one pays attention to him anymore and nobody brings him offerings or libations. And so this unnamed man goes to the high priest of Amun, who is the patron god of Thebes and the big god at this time in Egyptian history, 
and tells the story to him, and he's disturbed. Like, this is my area, right? So mm-hmm. this is the area that I'm supposed to look over, so I need to go and find out what's going on. He goes to the tomb, ends up kind of meeting up with the ghost, and he, he invokes the spirit of the ghost to, to join him, and here's his complaints. And he makes all these promises. He's like, well, I'm going to you know, go in there, and I'm going to renovate the tomb, make it look really nice. I'm going to give you a brand new coffin. Uh, it's going to be awesome. And this is more or less just met with skepticism and disapproval uh, by the by the ghost, uh, who now is is being given uh, his his name, uh, which is uh, Neb Nebu Semke. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Just shocked everyone on the other end of this uh, this microphone. Right <laughs> I can't believe it. What a reveal! What? Uh, anyhow, it doesn't mean much to you, but. Uh, to make a long story short, the missing piece of this story is gone. But we do know that just before, or to the end of the narrative that we do have, uh, people go out there and start working and, and renovating the tomb. One can imagine then that there's a happy story at the end of this sure. in which he gets a nice tomb and he's happy and he yeah. gets to go back to the afterlife, finally rest. feeling satisfied and, yeah. and happy and no longer will be haunting his tomb and scaring any people who just happen to wander into it yeah so that whole the whole concept of of a soul in unrest has been around for a very very long time absolutely yeah as, as well as in mesopotamia right with the with the idea of the giddim mm-hmm. and the giddim is essentially a restless spirit yeah it's the spirit of the dead but it's the spirit of the dead that again has to keep coming back and receiving offerings and if that doesn't happen or if that person were to die without leaving any children to care for them, then the soul becomes this wanderer of the desert. And that is also a commonality in ancient Egyptian mythology as well, that if you you know, were not essentially mm-hmm. taken care of in your afterlife, then you would be condemned to just wander around in the desert. And while it focuses mostly on your torment as opposed to the torment of innocent souls, mm-hmm. um, there is more uh, of an emphasis perhaps on the Mesopotamian souls coming back to haunt living family members who refuse to take care of them uh, and or haunt the house. Sure. Mesopotamia has all sorts of myths surrounding certain demons also inhabiting the house, these hybrid human and animal demons who are present. And that's something that then continues into biblical times even and gets absorbed into the Old Testament Mm -hmm. and takes on new life and new form. And you find that is beginning with these two very old, very ancient civilizations. Yeah, and let's not forget that Mesopotamia isn't, I mean, part of it is biblical, but a good portion of it is also like synonymous with biblical times. There's several occurrences in the Old Testament where they go to cities that are in Mesopotamian culture. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's actually jump over to a different part of the world um, and talk more about some ancient ghost stories. Um, let's go over to China, actually. There's a story about um, Tu Po, um, who served as a minister to the Chinese emperor Xuan, um, who lived from 1827 to about 783 BCE. And uh, as the story goes, the, the two of them had a disagreement and Chuan had Tupo killed in about 1786, 
um, despite any warnings that, you know, people told him Tupou's going to come back and haunt you because you killed this, you know, you're killing him, right? And uh, Tupou did a little bit more than just haunt him. <laughs> um, she, he actually came back three years later. And as a Chinese philosopher Mo Tzu wrote, um, Xuan was killed with an arrow fired by an apparition resembling Tupou in front of an assembly of feudal lords. So he came back and sought his revenge by shooting sure. an arrow through him. Damn. So pretty interesting. I kind of like that story. It's short and sweet. <laughs> yeah. And it's so much... It ties into the ancestral religion of China, too, because mm -hmm. I, I mean, very much how like in Egypt, like Eric was saying, it was a matter of fact that, you know, it was just a part of life. Given that like your ancestors mm -hmm. and you, know, you remembered them after death. Just this whole idea, this progression of that, you know, if you don't honor them, they can come back and haunt you. Yeah. Uh, is plays into this as well, I think. Sure, absolutely. And I think that uh, it's really important to kind of know, I mean kind of the importance of proper burials and funerals sure. and whatnot yeah. uh, makes a big difference that like clearly that, you know, there were some ancient humans that thought if you were not doing it all right, yeah, that's, it's not going to be good for you in the long run. Um, you're going to have a bunch of restless spirits kind of bugging you all day long. Well, it makes sense because when ceremonial burial became a thing mm -hmm. uh, and that deep connection between the living and the dead were, were felt, uh, you have these funerary cults starting to rise up at that point all around the world. I mean, we have notable examples that are recorded in ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia, but pretty much every other ancient culture had some version of this that took on some similar type of form mm -hmm. in the form of, of usually offerings that the, the living would normally consume that the dead were now expected to need. And that's pretty deep, you know, if you mm -hmm. think about it, right? The, the huge emotional impact of burying your loved yeah. one and then having to not just do that, mm -hmm. but continue to care for them. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about maintaining a grave like we have today. Like, this was a big thing. Mm -hmm. In ancient Egypt, there was a freaking industry around it where right. priests were being hired to bring and continue to bring food day after day mm -hmm. to the dead. So there was a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of, you know, importance put on this. Uh, and that inevitability, knowing that eventually your family might very well not care or mm -hmm. not be around to do it was mm. really scary. Yeah. So the idea of these stories coming up as a result of this is, you know. Well, yeah. And that's the point, right? If your ancestors forget who you are, your your memory is, you know, then you just, you wander into obscurity, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you have anything else in China? I don't have anything else in China. but I have I... a little bit in Japan. Do you have oh, anything? Oh, I do not have anything in Japan. Go ahead. So just to kind of tie it in, if we're, you know, in Southeast yeah. Asia, right, for the moment. So Yuri, the Yuri are the, the concept of the restless dead in Japanese folklore and mythology. Mm -hmm. And it actually comes from two different uh, kanji. Uh, the first, yur, meaning faint or dim. Mm -hmm. uh, and then rei, meaning solar spirit. So Ooh, okay. not just a spirit, but one that's kind of... In between, it's faded. Yeah. It's not exactly here. It's not exactly there. It's restless. Like a limbo kind of situation. Exactly. And they are oftentimes depicted as being uh, in white clothing uh, with, you know, jet black hair uh, and having very kind of lifeless limbs. You know, their hands and wrists kind of hang and, and fall to the side. And if you've ever seen... Um, the ring? The ring, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, a modern take on a very ancient tale of the Yuri. And perhaps where um, the Yuri are most uh, 
I don't want to say most, but where in modern day, where where their legends are really truly believed, is in uh, Japan the Japanese suicide forest. Oh so, yeah, which they just depicted in the forest. In uh, the forest, right? And then, yeah. Well, and God, people people post about in, like YouTube videos all the time of people going into this forest and whatnot. And uh, the the suicide forest or the sea of trees yeah. uh, sits at the base of Mount Fuji. And has a very ancient and old tradition in its own right, but also has a lot of these ghost stories that are told. Mm -hmm. And it's often told among the, the locals nearby that people who go into the forest are actually pulled in by the, the Yuri who are there, by the spirits who are there, mm -hmm. and then taken in such a roundabout way, such a terrible journey that they become disoriented and then they end up killing themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's that myth that became actually the basis for that movie and plays out the whole plot for that movie, which is really mm -hmm. interesting. But um, I mean, the truth of the matter is there people go into that forest specifically to commit suicide. Yeah. And that's something that is still actually more relatively recent. Uh, they yeah. find that that started to really jump up in 1988 when mm -hmm. there was a book written about uh, the suicide forest and, and, you know, that it was a great place to go and kill yourself essentially is what it was saying. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's old history of a haunting meets this new terrible history of what is a very prominent issue in Japan, mm, which yeah. is which is suicides. Japan has one of the highest rates of suicide anywhere in the world. Uh, and it has for a very long time. Suicide is a tradition that oftentimes um, is used to negate dishonor yeah. brought upon one's family. And uh, you know, it's 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 a scary thing. So this is this is an effect of a ghost story. Yeah. And a cautionary tale for exactly. a social issue. Yeah, but a ghost story leading to to yeah. what is a very real situation with mm -hmm. people taking their own lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very interesting. Um, if I may actually take this and jump over to uh, Rome and Greece. Oh, jump jump all around by all Great. means. Great. Um, so, I mean, if we look at, um, I mean, ancient ancient Greek plays definitely have featured ghosts in them, um, pretty commonly being messengers and whatnot. So that was always pretty interesting. But um, one story that I really like was actually written by Roman Senator Pliny the Younger. My favorite of the Plinys. <laughs> yeah, though Pliny the Elder is a very good beer, I've heard. Uh, yeah, well, and, and, and Pliny the Younger, too. I mean, both of them in the was it Russian River Brewing Company yeah. um, have lines out the door to get those beers. Plenty of people are... Very enthusiastic about yeah. it. Yeah, plenty for Pliny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so but he actually told himself he actually and his many many writings which have helped illuminate the in Roman life and Greek life and whatnot in that first century AD. Yeah. Oh yeah, super helpful for historians. Um, in one of his many letters, he actually told a ghost story. Mm -hmm. Um, and and gave it as a firsthand account, uh, uh somewhat saying that um he stayed in a house in Athens. Um, where, and this is really interesting because I know Brian, you will absolutely think of Jacob Marley in this, um, but an apparition would appear and it would cause noise because he was draped in chains. Nice. And so, so Love just to clarify, it. it was not plenty who stayed in the home. He's recounting a story of somebody else who stays in the home. Yeah. But he also does say that he had seen it himself. Yes. But yeah. the, the actual story that he's telling in okay. is, is told from the, from the third person, from okay. a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
basically he comes in and yeah and this ha- this apparition comes in and like you hear the chains from a far off distance and then the apparition appears and he sees that he's draped in chains and then he just kind of makes a big rattle and then disappears and it's very creepy everybody's freaked out and completely abandons the house yep. and the house stays abandoned for a little while until a uh, philosopher named Athenodorus um sorry Athenodorus uh heard the story and so he decides that he wants to come in and either discount it or solve this problem. Um, he hears the the chains and the racket, and then the ghost comes in and makes a big old to-do. And the philosopher marks where the ghost stood mm-hmm. when he disappeared. Mm. And then he goes back in the morning, and he digs up a hole, and they find the skeleton draped, draped in, in chains. Dun-dun-dun! Yeah. Oh that is... Awesome. And, and then he gives it a proper burial and the house is never haunted again. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can I share one? Sure. sure. Um, this is totally off the cuff, but now that we're talking about this, I got so excited. Um, Hamlet. What? Yeah. We, we, we're going to get there. Are you, you going to get there? We're Hamlet? not at Hamlet. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. it was on the list. Okay. I'm Ryan. sorry. Well, because what sorry. we were going to do is we we're going to talk about ancient ghost stories and we're going to take it up to the Renaissance and that's where Hamlet comes Okay. Out. I'll save it for that. My apologies. Okay. God, Brian. <laughs> Were well, you listening? <laughs> can I jump in with something? Mm-hmm. Because this story yep. is mirrored later, not too much later, but in one of the greatest chronicles of stories, and that is uh, The Thousand and One Nights. Yes. Also Arabian referred to as The Arabian Nights. Which is actually full of all sorts of different stories and tales, uh, many of them involving ghosts uh, in, in some form or another. And... The jinn, who are yes. kind of the all-purpose supernatural creatures of the uh, of the of the whole Arabian Nights, they pop up in I all mean, these and, different stories. And they're where genies evolved from. Well, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, so we talked about this in the demons episode yeah. uh, a couple of years ago, which we will definitely, if you haven't heard, we should have reposted by by now. Um, so the jinn are kind of this third form of 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 life and it comes from islamic culture um mm-hmm. the jinn is it's not angel and it's not demon and it's not human either it's this the other kind bodies of, are actually composed of fire exactly um and you're right the word genie derives from the word jinn but the jinn are essentially they are genies they are these it, mystical it, exactly. creatures yeah and they're not always these you know malevolent creatures they oftentimes do nice things and do good things for people which mm-hmm. is where the the granting of wishes and the genie aspect really kind of comes from that yeah and that was more that was very i mean i wouldn't i don't want to say it's exclusive to the aladdin story but it it i mean that's the aladdin story is the the precursor to the the genie grants wishes well there paradigm. is a, there is also a haunted house story here that is somewhat similar to its ancient greek counterpart only it tends to have a bit of a more positive ending. Uh, and it's about a haunted house in Baghdad where a neighbor, uh, a trader named Ali goes and visits. And he hears stories of people in the neighborhood that it is haunted by a djinn and that people should stay away. And those people who do go to the house end up dying before morning. Mm. So uh, corpses uh, have been actually dragged out of the house of with but with ropes because people are too afraid to go in there and retrieve them so they're lassoing these dead people and pulling them through the house and bringing them out to the street just oh, to wow. retrieve the remains Question. yes how do they know they were there well they watch them go in uh, okay and they probably said jim don't do it jim 
Don't go in there. And if you're it's gonna, a bad and, idea. And if you're going to stay in the house, don't go past the foyer. Yeah. Because we have to yeah. get you out somehow. <laughs> That's right. We're going to you know, just put the rope around your waist. If you're dead in the morning, we'll bring you out and bury you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyhow, he hears these tales and is uh, not scared by them. And he goes in and he ends up actually having a really pleasant time. He uh, meets with one of the djinn and they kind of hang out for a little while. And he ends up giving him a bunch of gold. So they have a pretty sweet ending. But the whole point is it's a haunted house story. Yes. And that's where the, the tie-in comes into. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And there's all sorts of different stories and tales within there that have to relate yeah. to ghosts. Far more. I mean, we could do a whole episode just, in fact, you know what? That'd be a really cool episode. That would be a fun episode to talk about Arabian Nights. Oh, my God. So we, the historical you know context for it. We'll save it then. Okay. We won't talk about it anymore. Okay. Until we're ready to do a proper episode. All right. Fine. Time okay. to read Arabian Nights. Yes. I'll see you guys in a year. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be at least that long. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's extensive. A, yeah. And not many all things. stores are created equally, sadly. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah is, that's it true. Is many things, it is not brief. Yeah. Um. Well, let's jump up a little bit. Um, and I think we should probably take it to the Tower of London. Because, we have to. I mean, because I really feel like there are some, there are just so many ghost stories around the Tower of London, you guys. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Well, let's face it. The history of England is one that's written in blood. A little bit. A little, <laughs> a little bit. bit of blood. A little bit of blood. Um, one of the most. A lot of bit of blood. <laughs> a little bit of blamage <laughs> as well. But, but, but yeah, a lot of blood too. Um, one of the most famous ghosts that, um, you know, hypothetically haunts the Tower of London is that of Anne Boleyn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, if having, anyone was going to haunt it, it'd probably end up being her. Yeah, for having been accused of treason and witchcraft and adultery and incest, et cetera, et cetera. There's the short end of the stick. Yeah. And then there's the tip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there's uh, there's rumors that she still haunts the Tower of London. Um Arabella Stewart, who was a cousin of King James the First, um, you know she she married against the king's will uh, and was executed for it. And so you know there's a rumor that she still haunts there. Um, Catherine, another one of Henry VIII's wives, um, actually is said to have haunted Tower of London and um, Hampton Court. Uh, and there's a gallery in Hampton Court called the Screaming Alley because when she was told that she was going she was locked in her room when she found out that she was going to be executed she was locked in her room um she managed to escape and ran down into the gallery to plead with the guards to let her go and they grabbed her and dragged her screaming back to her room by the hair she then escaped again and ended <laughs> up on the set of game of thrones i believe no <laughs> But the there's a rumor that you can still hear her screams in that hall. That's um, very scary. Um, but there's also at the Tower of London um, a phantom bear. Oh, there is a the bear baiting days. There is a a ghost not, not, bear, not a teddy bear. No, no. Okay, just clarifying. A a ghost of a bear who's said to haunt uh, Martin Tower in the Tower of London. Hmm. Um, and uh, the rumor has it that a guard once saw the phantom bear and dropped dead of shock. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, for all of these, you know, supposedly true ghost stories, I mean, Arabian Nights was clearly literature, right? And then you had yes. the you had the ancient Egyptian literature there, too, written down as a, as a you know, penmanship <laughs> practice. Um, I mean, if we get, once we start to get into the Renaissance, you really do start to see um, a resurgence of ghost stories coming up in, in literature and in plays. 
kind of all harkening back to those the ancient Greek and, and Roman tradition of having ghosts in their place. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, I have a, one quick question. Was there anything in the Tower of London about Edward V's sons at all? Not that I saw, but I mean, I just did a very cursory glance because there are a bajillion stories about hauntings in the Tower yeah. of London. Each one haunts a different yeah. floor. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a great tie-in because mm -hmm. the play Richard III. Yes. Um, if they don't mention the kids, but one vision I've seen in of the staging is that when uh, Richard and henry are in their duel at the end mm -hmm. richard is given pause because he sees the spirits of all those he's yes, killed yes and then henry deals the death blow yes well and, so, you, and you think of hamlet hamlet also has a ghost oh in it i got a story about hamlet and i think well actually and this is really important to point out that you know in the renaissance when they're showing ghosts on stage they are usually shown in garbs that are a little bit older primarily in armor because the kind of is the mark of being more antique sure. being older um and uh and the funny thing is is it ended up becoming so cumbersome to constantly deal with these ghosts in armor that eventually they people started getting out of the practice of showing these ghosts dressed up like that and started using more drapery and you kind of get into the sheeting and all that mm. stuff because it was honestly easier Love to it. levitate and throw people around on a stage in drapes than it was in armor. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also another innovation that comes out of doing ghost stories on stage. Mm -hmm. The trap. Yes. More specifically known as the trap door. Mm. This was an innovation for the effect and it was done in Hamlet. Yep. Because the ghost of Hamlet's father would rise up, which sounds very like uninspiring by today's standards, but in the 16th century, it killed. Yeah. Everyone a big deal. was scared from that. Um, if only they had dry ice. Yeah. And I mean, uh, now it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned... that would be kind of cool. I'm yeah. Saying. Ye oldie fog machine. Yes. <laughs> and, and it is interesting that you mention uh, the, the use of armor because mm -hmm. Hamlet's father is yep. almost always, always depicted with armor. In exactly wearing armor, mm -hmm. even though he wasn't wearing armor when he supposedly was killed yeah. by his brother Claudius. Yeah. Um, but I have a fun fact. And Sarah, I know you know the answer to this question. So it's really more or less for, for Eric. For Eric. Okay. But who was the first actor to play the ghost of Hamlet's father? First actor? The first actor. Okay. My funny response is Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> my real response. William William Shakespeare? Yeah. Because he did star in his own plays. I know he did do that. Yes. Most time. people don't know, though, that, yep. that that he he wrote his own plays so that he could star in them. And he usually gave himself the best parts. Um, he did would, he do but, it often? Uh, he did it several times. Um, the one times we know for sure he did it was he... But played... not all the time. He's like, I'm the star in absolutely everything. Well, no. But the other yeah. thing is, it's unusual is that... Remember, at this point in time in theater, there's no directors. Right. Um, it was very company-based, and they all kind of worked out blocking and that stuff together. And there was the playwright. It was so playwright. Shakespeare in Love lied to me? Well, yeah, there was no director in that either. Yeah. But usually, really? I mean, if you, th if you look at how Midsummer Night's Dream is written because there's an acting troupe in it, right? right. And they are all assigning themselves parts and trying to, like, work out how the right. whole thing will play out because exactly. they're doing it together. It's a collaborative effort. So huh. usually the playwright kind of took on an authoritative role in that regard but there was never a formal like exclusively my job is to mm -hmm. oversee all the creative decisions of the show like we have now today um but uh yeah so he was hamlet's father and he also uh, is documented to, he, he was the first prospero um 
But since it was his last play, he, I think he felt it was his way of saying goodbye to the stage, is that he wanted to play the main, the main character in that. So yeah. uh, I'm sure he played w- well more than that, but those are the two that we know for sure he played. Of course, of course. Um, but yeah, and I, you know, and obviously the Renaissance is not the first time that, you know, this stuff is appearing in literature. I do want to point out that um, Homer's Odyssey has a spirit in it. Isn't, oh, yeah. isn't there a reference in uh, in the There's Old m- Testament to to mm-hmm. a ghost or some uh, a witch calling a spirit up? You yep. know, yep. Yeah, well, um, necromancy is was the the prime reason why it was considered witchcraft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, so it's a it's a long tradition, and then it went you know obviously well past the Renaissance and you know into the Romantic era and going into more Gothic fiction. You found a lot of ghosts and spirits of of you know previous wives and things like that still haunting houses <laughs> previous wives <laughs> yes. lots of lots of that going on oh sure uh crimson peak is a great callback to that definitely yeah definitely um and uh and you know sir walter scott you know uh with wandry willie's tale that's you know a very traditional ghost story in 1824 but um here we kind of go in the in the mid 1800s we kind of get into what's considered the golden age of the ghost story Mm -hmm. um this is where we kind of shed a little bit more of the gothic romance and really kind of get into the nitty-gritty of scaring people (laughs) and uh and we have to really talk about a guy named mr james who is considered one of the foremost ghost story writers, um, especially for English ghost stories. And uh, what I really appreciate about him is that he kind of came up with a good uh, definition of what a ghost story is and isn't. And I think, you know, if you've ever listened to Nerds on Film when we're trying to narrow down a genre... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we like to somehow categorize it. What are the constraints? What are the rules that we have to follow for this? Um, and so this is kind of what James has said needs to be the rules of it. Um, it has to be a characterful setting, um, preferably in an English village, a seaside town, or a country estate, or an ancient town in France, Denmark, or Sweden. Or <laughs> that covers an- Hamlet, the cannibal <laughs> ghost. Right. <laughs> um, or a venerable abbey or a university. So... I know, very particular, very exacting. Mm. All things are old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has to have a uh, nondescript and rather naive gentleman scholar as a protagonist. Um, I think, Brian, when we talk about Sleepy Hollow, you kind of get into Ichabod oh, Crane there boy. a little bit, right? Um, Don't spoil my fun, Sarah. <laughs> um, and then number three is the discovery of an old book or other antiquarian object that somehow unlocks and calls down the wrath or at least untracks unwelcome attention or a supernatural menace. Um, so those are very particular things. And there's some other um, other elements that he had that he wrote an article about a very scholarly article. And then a, a, a fan of his kind of boiled it down and interpreted it. Uh, has to have a pretense of truth. Right? So if you look at a lot of the stories that we've talked about tonight, they say, it's, they say it happened. Right. It happened to a friend of mine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, a pleasing sort of terror. So kind of like the, ooh, ooh scare me again. <laughs> you mean that moment in Ghostbusters? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which which one? The, the original Ghostbusters. <laughs> Is it the library? No. No? Oh, I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Took him a little time to get there, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. But uh, Brian has arrived yep. at the end of the joke. It's the one with Ray, right? It's yes. with Ray. Yeah. It's yeah. With Ray. Okay, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this <laughs> this one I think 
is very much lost in modern ghost stories, especially on film. Uh, no gratuitous bloodshed or sex. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that's pretty totally much lost. makes a horror ghost movie. These yeah, days. these well, it's days a, definitely. I mean, in, in definitely the realm of the Freddy Krueger and Jason films, they are. That's it's that's the yeah. leading. Yeah. Well, element sells. Well, and those, I mean, that's where we get the difference between a ghost story versus a slasher flick, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, but if you look at, I think, like Evil Dead, that's like demons, not necessarily ghosts. Well, anyway, Kruger is definitely a ghost. That's true. That is true. Um, point number four: no explanation of the machinery. Don't don't tell us how it works. You don't have to tell us how ghosts come to Earth or whatever. We just need to know that they do it. Yeah. Um, well, and there then. You go. And then point number five, uh, setting um, uh, has to be modern to the writer or the right. reader. So it has to feel like it's happening now or it could happen in your own backyard. Which is why, like, I remember when they did, they did an adaptation of the Canterville Ghost, what, 10? I mean, probably was almost 20 years ago. There was one mm-hmm. where Patrick Stewart played the ghost. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they said that, they updated it to, mm-hmm. to contemporary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Times. so so that's what makes a, a Jamesian ghost story, and you do see a lot of those elements and and ghost stories kind of stick around for a long time. Um, I know Edgar Allan Poe kind of called on a lot of that, and you know he's like one of the foremost horror writers of his mm-hmm. time. So, yeah. uh, but Brian, bring us home. Yep. Well, geez, you guys have done such a great job. I feel so <laughs> so <laughs> about this. Uh, so. We've been talking. Brian, that sounds like a severe medical condition. I mean, let's let's face it. Yeah, it's called curlyitis. It's where you sound like curly <laughs> from the Three Stooges. Right. Well, and let's be perfectly honest here. The reason why we did this topic is because Brian has been wanting to talk about this particular story for a very long time. Yeah. And uh, four years now. Yeah, and so we're finally getting to talking about the story, but we had to kind of set a historical context we did leading up to it to be totally fair what i really wanted to do was do a dramatic reading of it but Mm -hmm. we we just couldn't pull it together in time so it just wasn't dramatic enough (laughs) well it's also it's it's a short story but in the same way that dickens christmas carol that we did a couple years ago is a short story it's like 40 pages Mm -hmm. which means it would take two hours for us to read yeah and it's a big production showing up to put in snow special effects and all that so, and he just got married, so yeah. Exactly. So it just it wasn't going to work. However, that being said, for those who, I mean, it, this is the American ghost story, mm-hmm. the first American ghost story, um, and it's oftentimes synonymous with the Amer- with American Halloween. So it, I mean, it deserves to be spoken about yeah, for that absolutely. reason. Um, if you don't know the story of <laughs> the legend Sleepy of Hollow, Sleepy Hollow, maybe You're for good our now. listeners, yeah, maybe for our listeners who don't live in the United States. Um, it all takes place in this little glen called Sleepy Hollow. What? In uh, in the country, you know, in the countryside. Roll credits. Of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, in the countryside of New York, uh, and essentially, there there is this schoolmaster named Ichabod Crane, who has soft eyes for Katrina von Tassel. Well, who uh, doesn't? But then again, there's also this very strong guy named Brom, who also has eyes for her. And he tells this story. Classic about, love triangle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And he tells you know, this ghost story about the headless horseman. The headless horseman will come and get you if you're crossing over a bridge at a certain time at night. Uh, Ichabod, being the the academic mm-hmm. and not believing in superstition, doesn't take heed of that. But sure enough, as he goes one night, he sees the headless horseman gets chased down. So by he him. does something that is uh, that warrants the attention of the supernatural. Of the supernatural, exactly. Uh, and he gets chased down, and then. We know that 
Ichabod Crane was never heard from again. Whether he died or whether he was just got so scared that he left town uh, is up to the reader. But it's always implied that it was Brom who dressed up as the Headless Horseman to, to scare him away. Mm-hmm. So, fun little story. Disney does a great job of it. Uh, Disney uh, has a great animated version of it. The Tim Burton version was... Tim Burton's my favorite. Far more elaborate, but awesome. Yeah, it, it takes liberties, but there's been several liberties that have been taken with the story. I'll talk about the Tim Burton one in mm-hmm. a bit, because that is absolutely I'll awesome. be honest. You've never seen it? I've never read it, and I've never seen it. Oh my God, man. I've Shame. heard of it. I'm aware of it. Well, but watch, I, I've never, never experienced. Watch it, really. the Disney one because the Disney one is shorter. It's like a half hour long. There's a little song in it. Um, <laughs> oh, well, that sells it right there. It's it's pretty. It's <laughs> pretty. Crane. No, it's a. Uh, it's pretty accurate to the to the story. Yeah. It's brief, and then that gives you a a, a context for the, which to watch the Burton version, which is the Burton version is essentially a slasher movie version of the story oh, yeah okay but told in tim burton's own gothic beauty that so know. there really is no ghost there's just either a murderer or some guy who scares the crap out of somebody we don't really know. oh in the well, burton in version the burton it's version, absolutely a it's ghost. A, absolutely a ghost it's legit real and there's also witchcraft and shit going on too so Ooh, even yeah. got a bleep out of that oh one. my god oh, sorry <laughs> i and that's why i got where it. it was for a second <laughs> I'm, like, I'm probably gonna go home and watch it tonight now yeah. that i said it because i love that movie and, and i always watch it around halloween because it's so good so let's let's talk about the settings, shall we? So um so Sleepy Hollow is attached to this town called Terrytown, and it's mentioned in in mm-hmm. Ir- Washington Irving's story. Um and uh, of course this was included in Was Washington Irving's compilation of books called The Sketchbook. It's also featured with the same uh collection as the story of Rip Van Winkle. Uh and it was but this was actually was the longest story in that compilation. Um and What's awesome about this is that there's it's loaded with with real parallels that you can go and visit today. Um, so Terrytown is is real. Uh, Sleepy Hollow was not real. Wait, wait, just to clarify, that's Terrytown is real, not Terrytown is real. <laughs> yeah, which I'm yeah. pretty sure yes. is not a place. Nope, that's but not a place. Sleepy it might be Hollow, like, like tell Terrytown. Yeah. <laughs> but what's in, what I find awesome is that Sleepy Hollow, the actual village of Sleepy Hollow, didn't exist until 1999. Uh, because of the popularity of the story and in honor of the story. They just made a town? No, no. They took North Terrytown, which was a, a, a village that was north of Terrytown, and they named that Sleepy Hollow. Well, thank God, because the original name is not terribly imaginative. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> um, well, what do we got around that we can name? Well, does anyone really like North Terrytown? So, so here's the funny thing. As with many of our episodes, it starts with the, the real story about how this story got inspired. It starts with disease. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Wait, hold on. Did you just say, like many of our episodes, this starts with disease? I mean, we have talked about syphilis a lot. We have. And we've also talked about... A lot. Well, okay. Well, oh, well, no, you're right. Actually, yeah. Well, yeah. So as it turns out, in 1798... When Washington Irving was the ripe age of 15, um, New York City, which where he is from and where he lived most of his life, was going through its 10th epidemic of yellow fever. Oh, yeah. So most people were like, flee, flee. So he, floated, uh, he fled. He fled. He fled. He flowed. He flowed. He flowed. He, <laughs> he flew to the, um, to the countryside. And he went to Terrytown. He thought some happy thoughts, and yeah. he flew. <laughs> yes, he did. There was a there was a pixie dust element to this yeah. story, <laughs> and a guy with a hook. I don't know, but um, at any rate, 
so he goes to Terrytown and he finds it this really lovely and charming place. And as he's visiting, he goes to the cemetery at Terrytown, which is now called the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Uh, again, out of out of homage to the story, Sleepy uh, Sleepy Hollow Cemetery and gift shop. <laughs> and yes. he hears tell a legend of that there was a headless corpse of a Hessian mercenary that was found during the Revolutionary War. Now keep in mind, this yeah. is 1798, yeah. so the Revolutionary War was in recent memory for most people. So he hears a story, and he hears it found by the Van Tassel family. And they were the ones who actually buried this headless corpse. And who yes, would have, of course, been a horseman. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And so, well, here's the thing. So Hessians... A corpse is a corpse, of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Hessians were... Um, I mean, for many people who may not know this, uh, England, um, during the American Revolution, uh, paid for German mercenaries, Hessian mercenaries, who were very good horsemen and very good marksmen. Yep. They were... Yep. So... Uh, they also made amazing bratwurst, but that's... that's <laughs> not the point. Um, so there's kind of like... The seeds get kind of planted. Oh, that's interesting. A headless horseman. Uh, that's buried, and he sees it. He goes to the, the the cemetery. He sees, and this is me kind of putting it together of how he I think came up with the with the story, but, but I'm going to use facts to support it. So, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm just making all this up right yeah. now. But so he doesn't write the story until 1820. Keep in mind, this is 1798. Okay. So this there's quite a bit of time in between. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. So he, lingering in the back of his head. Yeah. So he sees this Hessian grave, and he sees the graves. Of hang on, this graves of uh, Katrina with a C, uh, Katriana Ecker von Tassel and her niece Eleanor von Tassel uh, Brush buried at the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. So we know that these are real and people. And gift shop. Yeah. <laughs> so we, so we know <laughs> that they're real. We know that there is a headless Hessian who is actually buried in this cemetery. That being said, where did Braun come from? Well, we're we're getting there. Okay. So, um, every every story needs an antagonist. That's mm-hmm. what it, that, that's where he came from. He, they needed an antagonist. Um, but I what's think interesting? They later reused him for Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, actually. Gaston. For Gaston, totally. Oh, they're totally the same archetype. Um, continuing on, as he gets older, he eventually decides to tour through Europe. Now, it's worth noting that New York was at first a Dutch colony, right? Right. And in Scandinavian countries as well as, you know, other parts of Northern Europe, like the Netherlands, uh, but and also in Irish, German, and Scottish folklore, headless horsemen are actually archetypes in those stories. So as oh. he's traveling through Europe, he's hearing and reading folklore that involve headless horsemen. And they're usually used yeah. as omens of ill fortune for characters who are, who are prideful and arrogant. Well, it's also just because uh, Scandinavians tend to be very tall. <laughs> And so those low branches, they get you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you have that seed kind of being planted. Then in 1814, Washington Irving was an aide de camp of uh, aide de camp of uh, of the New York governor at the time, Daniel T. Tompkins, uh, who was inspecting. They were inspecting. Uh, a, they were doing an inspection tour of fortifications, and he meets a captain by the name of Ichabod Crane. Mm, in, good name, uh, by the way. In Sackett's Harbor, New York, in 1814. In 1809, five years prior to this, uh, he had met a man named Jesse Merwin, who taught at a local schoolhouse in Kinderhook, uh, further along the Hudson River, and spent several months with him during that period. So we've got... Kinderhooking. So we've got a, a guy whose real name is Ichabod Crane, which has an awesome literary sound to it. Yeah, sounds good. We have a schoolmaster, who he has a basis to put on. We have 
a girl's name with a real historical basis of a family to it. And we have this awesome story about a Hessian mercenary. Headless. Headless. Mm-hmm. And he's he knows it's a Dutch colony. There's all these ghost stories yep. from Northern Europe. It is ripe for inspiration for this story. So that's where I think it was all those combinations of things to, together finally put it in his head to create Sleepy Hollow. And he did in 1820. It was a huge success. Well, the whole sketchbook was a success, but that is... Of that, I think that and Rip Van Winkle are the two most popular stories that he has written since then. Obviously, the story's been adapted many, many times. Disney is the most famous one. So is Tim Burton's film. Also, mm-hmm. the TV series. Yep. Right? Which portrays Ichabod Crane as a... He's, is he a policeman in that one? Just like in the movie? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. In the movie, yeah, he's... Uh, in the movie, he's like an inspector. He's a constable, but he's still yeah. a timid character who's hu- who's prideful and super and not superstitious right he's just not a schoolmaster no like he is in in the original story. no but he's but he's a thinking man yeah whereas the ichabod crane the tv show is was a police inspector they add the whole fact that his wife was executed for yeah. witchcraft and it turns out she was a witch but she was a good witch yeah and because there, there's this whole element that he through some magic was transported through time to the present and he's still trying to hunt the headless horseman who is still on a murder yeah you know that's that one does that does seem like they took a lot from that tv show from the movie the bird movie not so much from the book the difference is that crane in the tv show is not a i mean he's prideful but he's not a timid character like Mm. well let's put it this way he's 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 a sexier version of ichabod crane basically okay yeah Mm. i don't know i like the depp version sounds kind of like a hipster johnny depp's version was good Johnny Depp's version was great. He was very true to the portrayal of the character. They took liberties with the movie, but I was fine with that. And Christina Ricci was in that one, too. She was actually very good. She was great. Yeah, she was yeah. really good. Oh, and freaking Christopher Walken. All, the, don't, tell you, him, don't tell him who he plays. All, mind okay. you, naturally pale actors. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's, yeah, fantastic film. And I think that's a great place for us to kind of cap it off. Because you know what? It's Halloween. We don't want to... Oh, do you have one more you wanted to add to it? Well, guys. You were going to let me have the last word. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. It just kind of happened this way. We do have a presidential election happening in a couple of days. We do. And we just did a we, super yeah. political episode mm-hmm. on the, you know, the... the Are you going to do a presidential ghost story? I want to throw a couple of presidential ghost stories in there. Okay. Okay. If it can be permitted. Sure. Sure. So uh, much for bringing it home. I'm, if... if with with your permission, Brian. No, it's okay. If I may it's fine. steal you thy thunder. Stole my, you stole my thunder. It's just fine. a little bit. There's lots of electricity in the atmosphere. You're going to be fine. So, first off, Lincoln's ghost. Yeah. Well-known, well-cited, supposedly, but perhaps the most famous uh, example comes from the British Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, mm. who was staying in the White House one day, and being Winston Churchill, he liked to enjoy a good bath and a good cigar, and while emerging completely nude from said bath, having only a cigar in his mouth, supposedly, uh, according to him, encountered the, the, the ghost of Lincoln in his bedroom. And uh, <laughs> is reported as saying, good evening, Mr. President, you seem to have me at a disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Churchill and his wit. Now, we don't know exactly how many bottles of alcohol Churchill had consumed that evening. Sure. So 
This could have been a legitimate hallucination. We don't, we don't really, really know. We don't know. I have had some pretty heavy nights of drinking and never once hallucinated. Okay. So, yeah. It's also just Winston Churchill. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of people could be blowing smoke. Uh, there, there, there have been multiple people. I believe Eleanor Roosevelt also has a story mm-hmm. that she heard a rumbling from the Lincoln bedroom. Oh yeah, Lincoln bedroom is notoriously haunted. Yeah. and yeah. she walk in, she opened up the door, and she found the ghost of Lincoln sitting in his chair. Yeah. So now apparently, um, the ghost of Andrew Jackson has also been reported uh, in the White House, and the spirit remains there. Keeps fact, a- asking where, where is his hair gel. <laughs> <laughs> where's my hair cream (laughs) my pomade (laughs) but uh mary todd lincoln just kind of put a reversal on this story Mm -hmm. uh, who held regular seances after her young son willie had died yeah uh, is also reported to have um been in contact with um andrew jackson Mm. so interesting yeah uh even uh dwight eisenhower had reported um, an encounter with uh, with Jackson. Yeah, unfortunately, though, Mary Todd Lincoln was eventually committed after uh, the death yeah. of well, Abraham. She had, she, had, she had a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. she did. Uh, and then the notorious British fire starter, uh, supposedly one of the men who set fire to the White House and was killed in the process, has been cited uh, trying to finish the job. Uh, <laughs> apparently, one report during the Truman era... Uh, has him uh, trying to set fire to a bed. Oh, my God. And, like, what was it? it was a ghost who was running with matches. <laughs> and there was also a major fire in the West Wing during the Hoover administration on Christmas Eve in 1929 uh, that has, legend tells us, been started by the fire starter himself. Huh. Uh, but uh, what they did find, in fact, was that it was a clogged fireplace uh, the flute had been cleaned and it ended up causing that fire. So, yeah. interestingly enough, though, I just thought I'd mention it considering we just had an episode on yeah, presidents. Makes sense. And we got yeah. an election coming up in, holy crap, just a couple of days. Yeah. yeah. You know what I bet that was from? Mm. I bet it was Hoover who laid off the chimney sweep because of the Depression. Huh. There you go. Right. That's what it there was. You go. Yeah. Hubris. There's hubris, right? Yep. That adds to the ghost story element. There you go. Uh, so, guys, um, with that, uh, we want to go ahead and actually encourage you to vote. <laughs> yeah, if, we do. If you so feel like it, because that election is just around the corner. Um, uh, if you were not inspired by the last Nerds on History episode, um, hopefully you were inspired by some ghost stories that you know that if you don't vote, the presidents yeah. will come haunt you. We know we have a lot of lung, young lung listeners as well, people who mm-hmm. breathe. But uh, young listeners who this might be your very first election. Yep. Yeah. And you may not feel overwhelmed by it, uh, but you really should go out there and cast a vote one way yeah. or another. Yeah. It and is It is a, a really important – it's really important to exercise that right that you yeah. have to vote. It is a, a very strong part of your duty as a citizen. And frankly, there are some really important uh, measures and propositions that are out there, um, I know, especially in California – um, and in many other states that if anything, even if you do not feel so compelled about the presidency, you should be really, yep. really motivated to vote on those ballots and legislation. And yeah. you can write in your vote, too. You can write in your vote for whoever you want. You can vote for Eric Brickmont for president. Although I can't be elected because I'm not 35 yet. Nope. But, yeah. Uh, you, would you can vote for Sean Moriarty. Uh, He's 33. Mm. Shh. 
God, you know, Sean, why? You know, Mickey Mouse is still the number one write-in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Maybe someday Disney will run the country. Right, if, that, if that had happened while Walt was still alive, Mr. <laughs> Disney, you need to come with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've been by proxy elected the president. <laughs> do there we have go. to do the voice? You have to do the voice. You have to do the voice. <laughs> I have one thing I want to add to that. So first of all, I want to wish you guys a very happy and safe Halloween, as always. Go out there, have fun, but don't do anything stupid. You know, don't eat too much candy. And, you know, diabetes is real, <laughs> and folks, yeah, and is. so is insulin shock. Oh, yeah. Don't do it. Just don't. And if you are going to drink, don't drive. That's Seriously. Right. That's There's right. Uber. There's Lyft. There's friends who have houses and couches that you can sleep on. Be safe. As far as the election goes, I want to echo Sarah's sentiments. Um, it's one of those elections where I don't think there will be many people who will choose to stay at home. But I know there's a lot of people who are in the middle uh, who don't like either candidate. And, you know, that, that, that is unfortunate. Um, what I do want to say is, yes, it is absolutely your right to choose not to vote. You have that decision as a, as a United States citizen. However... If you choose to exercise that right, you also forfeit your right to complain about the status quo because you are choosing not to be part, to have a voice in that, in that process. So the sacredness of the ballot box is not one that's ever taken lightly. It's, it's meant to be heavy for a reason. And sometimes you have to make decisions that are not ideal. But go out there and vote. You owe it to your country. Cool. Eric, any final thoughts? Uh, don't forget that ballot boxes are heavy. <laughs> stay safe because they can fall. Yeah. Uh, many good. people have broken toes, wear closed toe shoes. You never know. Mm -hmm. You never know. Mm -hmm. All right. Feedback? Feedback. This week in listener feedback. Uh, so this one is from Davy the D. Uh, subject grateful listener. He said, I can't thank you all enough for making so many hours of great podcasts. Nerds on History, you guys make history so enjoyable. The time, the amount of times I have laughed while on public transport or while bouncing should make people think I'm a little bit crazy. I have enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed every podcast and currently just listened to the Mo Bros and loved it. Keep up being amazing nerds and awesome human beings. Thank you. Hooray. Thank you, David D. And be careful while bouncing as well. Um, I do not have the name of our last person's feedback, but they just started listening and they wrote in today during the during the pre preparations we were going it's through Tiff. for this podcast. Oh, is it Tiff? Thank you. Tiff. Tiff, she has just started listening to the podcast, so she won't, probably won't get to this one for <laughs> quite a while now. Um, but she could be listening backwards. She could. No, be. she's not. She's she's going forward. Beginning. She started at the beginning. Yeah. <sighs> but she's Tiff. listening to like three episodes a day, so she'll catch up in no time. Yeah, okay. she'll she'll do it. Um, thank you. We really appreciate the kind words. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it once you get to Sarah's episodes. Yeah, because I'm awesome. Um, Everything before that was just crap, to be totally honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, <It> was... Eric. <laughs> Thanks. So, so That's a joke. So that means that if, if everything's from when I started with is A, is A, S, does that mean that everything before me is B, is B S? S? Uh? Mm. Uh? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we just heard Sarah's first bad pun. Golf clap? Yeah. Golf clap. I don't think that was my first bad, but I've had bad ones before. This is the first one we're choosing to recognize. Okay, great. 
Just like just like everything else, women have to fight really freaking hard before they can get some decent recognition. Are you done? Yeah. Okay. Good. good. All right. Can we nerds. do a segment in the past with the Sarah's like I'm Sarah Ashley and this is my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Here it is again. Oh boy. <sighs> yeah, what was it? It was like I was like, okay, I just have to talk about this right now. <laughs> Anyway, go on. No, it's fine. Okay. Sarah. Yes. Why don't you tell listeners like Tiff, who are maybe new to our podcast, how they can be a feedbacker. Yes. If you would like to send us a message, you can do so by going to nerdonomy.com and clicking that talk to us button. Uh, it will shoot an email to all of our inboxes and we might just read it on the air. Um, or you can also go to social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, or Twitter, and we'll probably talk to you through there directly. Um, or, you know, you can try skywriting. Yeah. That- you can also invoke a spirit Ooh, into yeah. the homes of oh your my friends, gosh. family, oh, neighbors. Here's what. Okay, so here's what we do. Here's what we do. Uh, we go total Stranger Things on it. We'll string up the Christmas lights above letters. <laughs> yeah. And oh, if yeah. you guys want, you have to go into the upside down and then transmit messages. So just try that. I, I think I think that'll work. I'm actually a fan of the necromancy option. We've never gotten feedback via necromancy. Yeah, I mean, we try that. That would be pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky to get the ghouls to 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 do it because the thumbs, you know, mm. they're all on iPhones for some reason, and they just have a hard time with the typing. Yeah, the thumbs yeah, yeah. keep falling off and and you put back on. It's just well, if you very inconvenient is what it really is. If, if you practice Wicca, then <laughs> perfect. Then we know exactly who to uh, have you sent. No, that's not true. That's that's a gross generalization of yep. the Wiccan religion. Yep. And if you'd like to give hate mail to Brian Moriarty, <laughs> you can direct that to hate mail yep. at nerdonomy.com. Yeah. We actually talked about Wicca a couple of years ago. But the most important thing you guys can do is you can give us a review on iTunes um, yeah. and go ahead and comment on how much we meander out of our uh, outros. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the uh, the more reviews that we get, the better our searchability is. So that would be really appreciative because um, it will help us spread the word of nerd like a bird turd. Mm-hmm. Mm, indeed it's a possessed bird turd <laughs> I had to go with some sort of Halloween theme I'm right. sorry well nerds it is that time so again have a happy and safe Halloween make sure you go out and vote sorry to the Wiccans and uh, tune into our next exciting episode same nerd time same nerd channel nerdonomy.com goodbye goodbye Hey, this is unusual. What? You know, I was looking through ghost stories and, and you know, looking for for like a local thing, and I, I ended up finding you know obituaries, and it says here, Sarah Ashley. That's weird. Born nineteen eighty six, died two thousand and five. Secrets out, boys. Goodbye. I told you. <laughs>